0: Good afternoon and welcome to this week's Gnostic radio program of Adelaide. It's just after 4pm and you're tuned in to PBA FM 89.7, broadcasting from Salisbury, Adelaide. My name is Diana and today I'm joined by Trent McHugh, currently living and teaching Gnosis in Auckland, New Zealand with his wife, Melanie. Hello, Trent. Hi, Diana. Hello, Uh, but Trent's definitely no stranger to the northern suburbs.
1: Uh, I've been living there for a while.
0: (laughs) And um, hopefully we'll be be shedding um, some wisdom through the Northern Radio Airways. Okay, so Trent will be talking with us today and next week. Um, So with that introduction, I pass the mic or the baton onto Trent talking about the history of Gnosis Part 1.
1: Yeah, thanks for the uh, for the chance to um, talk to everyone about this. Um, this is a bit of a convoluted topic, really, because um, Gnosis, unlike a lot of traditions, it's very difficult to pinpoint an exact point in time um, as to when this particular traditional movement started. Um, so we know that with contemporary Gnosis, this goes back to uh, Master Samael. However, Gnosis in general goes back a lot further than that. So I guess the first thing to really look at is what the definition for gnosis is, and we understand gnosis is knowledge tamed through direct experience, and that this is something that is actually natural to a a human being with adequate work and preparation. Um, And this is something that's been known through different cultures and societies for for a long time. So it's it's kind of comparable to saying, well, um, if... If a person understands that rubbing two sticks together they can make a fire in one country, then surely people in other places of the world are going to put the same things into practice, and I'm sure they'll attain the same experience or the same result. So with the Gnostic teachings, we see them in the Aztecs, the Mayans, the Egyptians, the Greeks, um, through Chinese culture, um, through to Aboriginal Australia. So Gnosis, in that sense, is, is quite um, broad if we look at it as a human experience. So I guess um, from that, we can say that, well, the history of Gnosis is really the history of, of humanity. Um, wherever there has been the pursuit of self-knowledge, wherever there has been the cultivation of ethics, wherever there's been the study of the laws of nature, wherever there has been the pursuit of the expression of art, there has flourished a, a society or a civilization around that. So Gnosis is really central... To developing or cultivating um, social ethics, to developing to developing uh, a real, robust society, um, and to really allowing what the light within a person to actually flourish and to develop um, humanity as a whole. Um, so, gnosis is historically um, is connected to human development and is is connected to the development of civilization. Um, as a whole so if we think of what civilization really is um, in many occasions we we tend to think of civilization today as being somehow related to technology so if we look back over the last few thousand years we say well when people were able to start farming rather than hunting and gathering that was really the beginnings of a civilization um, but that's it's a really limited view of seeing how a human civilization can actually work and flourish. So It's not limited to just technology. Human civilization is really founded on the knowledge of the people that make up that civilization. So you could have a collective of people like today, for example, if we go to some places in the world where they have all sorts of technology but very, very low level of being, very low level of self-awareness um, where greed and corruption flourish. It's, it's not exactly the pinnacle of human society. Um, But if we look at other cultures, um, for example, some of the uh, traditional cultures that have been, in a sense, overrun by colonialism, um, we see that there was a real beauty and order within a lot of those cultures, even though they didn't have those technological developments. Um, So in that sense, um, really, when we look at the development of human civilization, we have to see it as... Civilisation is present where there is self-knowledge and where there's the pursuit of these mysteries, which changes it very much from being a very linear development, where we normally think of development of agriculture then the development of, for example, the Industrial Revolution, the Enlightenment, et cetera, through to today. So in that sense, if we look at that definition, it's very hard to sort of say where Gnosis started because wherever there's people, there tends to be Gnosis and self-knowledge. So following on from that, if we look back through different parts of history, it doesn't matter what country in the world we, we look at, because we know that Gnosis is present in all cultures and in all traditions, uh, because it's a human experience, then what we can see is that there tends to be um, schools or societies or esoteric orders that have flourished around these mysteries. So... If For example, I mentioned before the Aztecs and the Mayans, they had their mystery schools. Um, People can travel to South America now and they can see these enormous pyramids and structures and these strange uh, statues and carvings that have these strange symbols on them. And these aren't done for decorative purposes or just to, for example, follow the path of the sun um, in order to figure out when to plant the corn. Um, These symbols... And these structures were actually built with a much deeper purpose um, around self-development, cultivation of the civilization and knowledge of of the universe itself. So in that sense, there were schools, there were priestly castes that were charged with the responsibility of not only protecting these mysteries, but actually uh, developing them, cultivating them. They were were living mystery schools. Um, So generation after generation, there was new knowledge that was attained, um, and new sciences that were developed. Um, it wasn't a static um, tradition. Sometimes, I think, in, in many ways today, we, we look back into history and we say that, well, this society was like this uh, and they stayed that way for a 1,000 years. They never developed or they never changed. But historians um, now are actually recognising that even just within the Aztec and Mayan culture, the same as the Egyptian, that there were many eras... Of uh, of knowledge, the gods had different roles at different times, um, so their level of understanding of the of the teachings was progressing and, and changing, much in the same way that you might see technology um, changes now. You know, so next next year there's going to be a a new iPad or whatever else it might be that's um, further develops on what we have now. So so the ancient mysteries were very much like that; they weren't a, a static um, train of thought. So these mystery schools, um, in order to guide uh, the, the civilization in which it was in, um, in order to instruct people—for example, instructing people in the, the mysteries of medicine, um, of understanding um, who they are, how they how they relate with the people around them, understanding the mysteries of the being. Um, these schools were actually. Um, developed around that and carried those teachings forward for the next generation. So, because it was always understood that the knowledge that we cultivate now is really the the heritage that our children um, inherit. Now, if we consider Gnosis in that vein, then definitely we can start to look at the, uh, more of a timeline in terms of history, because we can see the developments of Gnosis as a mystery school in the Aztec and Mayan culture. We can see the development of Gnosis as a mystery school in the Egyptian culture and we can see the development of Gnosis in different mystery schools around the world. So if, if we look at um, the history of Gnosis in terms of um, connections of certain uh, teachings or certain um, doctrines or papers or dates or names of people It's it's simply not going to be possible um, because the lineage is broken and in many occasions people didn't have things like what we have now, you know, Facebook or cameras on their phones. So it was very, very hard to capture a lot of the the events that were actually happening at the time. Um, So when we look back into the history of civilization, it's very hard to get exact dates. But if we look at the history of the mystery schools, we can definitely see a cross-fertilisation of schools. Uh, So, for example, in in Europe, you can see that there's a a cross-fertilisation of the Gnostic schools and the Masonic schools, the Rosicrucians. Um, You you can see parallels between those teachings. So, uh, in in that sense, this is how we really need to look at the the history of Gnosis is the parallels of the teachings from one mystery school to the next. Because if there are parallels with those teachings, then we can infer that there were people there who actually had knowledge, who had gnosis themselves, who were able to develop it. In the same way that um, we can say, well, if people use certain herbs to treat certain illness in Europe and other people use certain herbs to treat an illness in China, then we can infer that those people had the same knowledge of human anatomy, knowledge of... The healing benefits of plants and knowledge of what health, healing, um, and medicine actually means in general. In general, um, so wherever you see these schools flourishing, then we can assume that there are people there who have that knowledge um, themselves. So
0: that word of mouth is important in the transmission of the teachings.
1: Exactly. So it's really that um, fol- following that um, transmission and that cross fertilisation um, of those teachings through history um, is it's very um, entertaining, uh, I guess, study to undertake, but it can also people can also get very lost in it uh, because we start to see so many different contradictions between things. Um, so, in that sense. Um, when we look at, for example, the what we what we see is really being the the historical gnosis is really the gnosis or, or around the terms of around the times of the Christ. Um, that's normally where the, the term gnosis is used. So if a person talks about Gnosis or Gnosticism, people generally think of the Nicene, the Hammadi scriptures and these are all schools and texts um, that date to the Holy Land around the around the time of Sir Christ. So, these schools that were existed around that time weren't just born out of nothing. Um, it, it's not as though a group of people just decided to create a religion or or a tradition. Um, these schools were actually developed based on uh, teachings that were held by mystery schools of that time of that era. Um, particularly from Judaism and from uh, the Egyptian uh, teachings as well. So the origins of that historical Gnosis actually comes from quite a, a broad range of different teachings and philosophies as well. So in that sense, Gnosis is very hard to define as a strictly one set uh, lineage, because even the origins of the historical Gnosis, which was over 2,000 years ago, uh, has diverse influences that feed into it. Some of it more mystical in nature, others magical, other influences more scientific, others more psychological. Um, some of the teachings have come from completely different languages, completely different backgrounds. But it's interesting because the Gnostic schools of 2,000 years ago, they all had a, a similar focus, um, a, a particular, um, I guess, understanding between the different schools made them quite different so which i might talk about next after we go to a break
0: <laughs> yes um and that mm-hmm. diversity that you mentioned was uh, what makes it so amazing mm-hmm. in itself okay so um we're going to play a music track uh from you've chosen gurdjieff and sabropoulos uh Chants, hymns and dances um so this is track one a chant from a holy book so we'll be back um in a few minutes with Trent on the history of Gnosis. And welcome back. You're listening to the Gnostic Radio Program of Adelaide. Um, we did lose Trent for a while, but um, he's back. So hello, Trent. Are you there? Hello. Okay. Hi. That's good. Um, sorry <laughs> about that. Um, so yes, um, history of Gnosis. Um, yes, please continue. Yep. Yeah,
1: um, so in terms of the historical Gnosis, uh, which is the the Gnostic groups that were around the the times of Christ, um, in terms of studying them, if if we look at things in terms of history and we say, okay, there's a a starting point of a particular movement, this is what it was founded on, um, and then that continued for so many hundred years, it's it's actually a flawed way of looking at things, because the groups of this time, they, they weren't static, they weren't dead. They, they didn't just follow what people had told them for hundreds of years. They were actually very progressive. So quite often you would have people that would have knowledge of, for example, the the Greek philosophers or the Greek initiatic schools, and they would be mingling and intermixing with people from, from other schools, from other backgrounds. And the topic, for example, of um, the books of Genesis, they, they weren't... I was studied in the sense of lively discussion and in terms of a person's inner experience. People would actually explore what the story of the Garden of Eden actually meant um, in terms of themselves and uh, their own work. So it wasn't taken as a, a simple belief, which is how you might, might see it today, you know, that there is one story and this is how we choose to interpret it Um, if you choose to interpret it in this way you're in this school Um, these were more schools where people could form part of several or more and move from one to the other Um, and it was really dependent upon who had knowledge in themselves as to how that school or how those mysteries were carried forward, not so much on how much they owned or um, what religion was I guess, of who had knowledge and who generally had the the mysteries alive inside of them. They would be the ones who would carry the light forward and wherever they went, there would be a a resurgence of of the teachings in that particular area. So all these different Gnostic texts didn't necessarily belong to one school or the other, they were actually passed between different schools. So we have, in some Gnostic texts, we have a lot of strong references to the teachings of of Hermes, um, to the Egyptian mysteries. Um, to different schools of Persia. For example, the teachings of Zoroaster are mentioned in quite a few of them. We have different um, teachings regarding the fall of, of humanity um, and also different teachings regarding the the, the climb back up, um, the climb back up to, to God or the, or the path of redemption. One of the things that really, I guess, united those Gnostic schools was the the teachings of the the Christ, the capacity for redemption, not redemption through believing in a person who existed historically, um, but redemption through self-knowledge and through uh, liberation of, of light. And they're actually very different in terms of how a person studies uh, different texts. For example, if we believe in a person then I, and that, that person is going to save me, then pretty much infers that I'll do what that person says and I'll read what that person tells me to read. But in terms of self-knowledge, you can't just read a book. You have to actually meditate, reflect, apply those teachings in life in order to know what they actually mean. Uh, you can't fake genuine knowledge. Uh, you can learn a lot of information and... Uh, speak it back, but you can't pretend to have knowledge um, about life. So the Gnostic schools of historical, um, 2,000 years ago, of the times of Christ, um, worked by virtue of who had knowledge and who was able to liberate that knowledge and recognising that Christ was being a liberating force and a liberating force that was gotten to via a path of internal knowledge rather than a founder of a particular uh, school and we have to follow those teachings, otherwise we don't get into the gates of heaven. Um, that heaven was actually a reality inside ourselves that was actually won through our own efforts was, in a sense, it was quite normal um, to consider it. the teachings in that light back in those days. Um in terms of as a humanity in Western civilization, we very much lost that uh, since since that time. Uh, very much came down to kind of following a particular way and, and, and conforming. Um, so those schools at that time there was very much cross fertilisation of of teachings, which incorporates some of the, the Greek mysteries, the Hermetic teachings. Um, there were teachings that looked at. Practices for meditation. There were, there were teachings that focus on the, the structure of, of the universe, from the highest realms of what we call the absolute down to where we are now. There were schools that looked at different versions of the history of humanity, and um, that talked about a historical flood, and at that time, what that what that meant. Uh, there was a civilization that was completely lost before then, and where these people went to, and what, and what they developed. Um, so. In those uh, schools, what you have is basically a very eclectic mix of these different um, cultures. And it's not that far different to how modern Gnosis is, because modern Gnosis, sometimes people will say, well, we talk about chakras, but chakras is is an Eastern term. Um, But (laughs) really there is no strict one school or one system of thought anywhere in the world. All of them are all cross-fertilised. Um, from others. So how contemporary Gnosis works very much mirrors how historical Gnosis was at that time. Um, and again, seeing that the uh, Christ is not a, a person but is actually reality that we find inside ourself. Um, and in finding that reality, we're, we're liberated from it. So I guess from that time, uh, 2,000 years ago, what, what happens is there's a point in history where uh, the... Not not the teachings of Gnosis as such, but the teachings of uh, Christic Gnosis, or the knowledge of the Christ, begins to spread and gain momentum as it goes through the different lands, through the Holy Lands, through the Roman Empire. Um, And this is important to, to take into consideration the timing of it, because it gains in strength and popularity because the Gnostic work is very much about it. It's a personal liberation that a person can attain through their own work and through their own effort. And when you have not just one society, but the Roman Empire actually integrated many different societies under its, under its regime. And when you have many different societies that have struggled under oppression for a certain time, uh, they tend to embrace things that give them a sense of freedom. Uh, when they're when they're within that system, so the Roman Empire basically served to fan the flames for a spiritual revolution. so the teachings of Gnostic Christianity um, very much had fertile grounds uh, throughout the empire. The other thing is that the that the Roman Empire gave really was um, ease of travel uh, because people could easily take certain teachings from one end of the Mediterranean to the other, um, and communication channels were opened up. They had things like roads, so it was very easy for people to move around. And because of the gathering of many people from many different cultures, um, translating things from one language into the other, people being bilingual, trilingual, um, was relatively common as well. So the ideas were able to spread... Um, to the the common people. They were no no longer just the reserve for the elite mystery schools, but they actually became something that uh, people as a whole had access to as well. Um, So I thought that perhaps in the next part we could move on from where Gnosis and the uh, Roman Empire, how how that actually starts to move forward uh, to where we are today, because that's that's really what a lot of people see as being a history of Gnosis, is really over that last 2,000-year period.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, thank you for your time, Trent. And um, Great, and we hope that um, you'll join us for part two next week, Tuesday, um, just after 4pm on PBA FM, that's 89.7. And um, wish you a good afternoon.